Listening Dog Media. Last bit of context is that at the start, I'm going to do an introduction where Simon, producing, will add <coughs> clips after statements that I make. So okay. even though I'll be pausing, it, you don't don't feel the need to jump in. Okay, so okay. Um, my God, I've made it sound like we're going to the frigging moon. <laughs> um, all right, here goes. How to DJ. How to DJ. DJ. How to DJ. What I'm kind of real DJ can do is really think on your toes. Hello, I'm Chris Hawkins and this is How to DJ. Because I hadn't learned from when I was like 15, I just thought I'd never catch it. I think if I'd had learned the industry more, I'd have made some more savvy decisions than I have done. How to DJ. A podcast that explores the life stories, techniques, minds and experiences of much-loved DJs, where I ask them to pick five questions from a box of 45. I would pretty much spend my life either in my bedroom or in the local record shop. And here with me, a DJ described by Fatboy Slim as the thinking man's Grandmaster Flash. So the whole point was just to be really stupid. The DMC World Beat Juggling Champion. The DMC competition has been kind of like a a childhood dream since uh, 1996 for me. The World Teams DMC Champion. It's not about scratching or beat juggling. It's about making people dance. 2021's World DMC Champion. I worked really, really hard for it. I get really obsessed when I work on a project that I'm really, really excited about and it's going well, so I just don't stop until it's done. The aim is to surprise them where you stand out differently from everyone else, but at the same time, you're making everyone have a good time. It's one of the UK's leading scratch DJs, Jean-Marc JFB. Hi there. Hi, JFB. How's it going? John Mark, you just keep winning titles and awards. I've been very lucky uh, this last year, but um, I'm done now. I'm not doing any more DJ battles. What is it about what you're doing that means you're so brilliant at it? Thank you very much. Um, the DMC competition has been kind of like a, a childhood dream since uh, 1996 for me. And at the time back then, I couldn't afford the equipment to practice properly on. And then eventually, uh, as the years passed, I ended up making a career of DJing. And every so often, I would jump into that competition as it being a childhood dream. But I didn't really have the time to put enough effort in there to get good enough. And last year, I just thought, there's not many gigs at the moment because of COVID. I've got some time. I'm going to put all this effort into just the competitions and see how I do. And uh, last year was pretty good for me. <laughs> so, something of an understatement. When did you start DJing? In 1996. And what was that at home, bedroom DJing at first? Yeah, it was, um, what did I have? I had like a real basic setup. And literally one week after I had this basic setup, me and a friend of mine who was an MC, we called up a local pirate radio in Brighton. And to our surprise, they just invited us in the following week to do a, a two-hour show. And then they made us residents, which was amazing. How was that first show? Slightly terrifying, but also incredibly exciting. That particular radio, uh, pirate radio, I think it was called Easy FM. They hosted all the local underground DJs who were part of the Brighton scene. So it was just like a an instant introduction into our local scene. And we just instantly started learning how everyone worked together and who everyone was. It was brilliant. So tell me, what else was going on in your life at this time? Did you have a job? No, I was I was very luckily living at my parents and I just had the deck set up in my room and I would pretty much 
spend my life either in my bedroom or in the local record shop. There's one in particular that was owned by Crafty Cuts called HVR that was on Bond Street in Brighton. So I'd go there and spend all my time during the day there, then spend all my time at home mixing. And then the rest of the time was uh, spent either hanging out or DJing on that pirate radio. How much did you practice? Oh, it was pretty much nonstop. I wouldn't call it practice. I was just like having fun. I couldn't really stop. What sort of stuff were you doing? Oh, I was just um, mixing and playing tunes. And then once you got to a point where you were playing out, how did it feel? in terms of getting a reaction? Oh, it was absolutely incredible. I actually um, found it very difficult to start playing out. I got a job in a a local nightclub. Back in the days, it used to be called the Beach Club, and I was a glass collector. The sound engineer and the manager wouldn't really let me anywhere near the turntables because I was just absolutely obsessed trying to get on them. So what I would do is I used to take a bunch of records to work, used to get there an hour and a half early. I used to spend like an hour cleaning the bar before anyone got there so that the manager would let me DJ 15 minutes before the club opened. Occasionally, some of the warm-up DJs or whoever was playing on those nights uh, was late. So, you know, even if I got to DJ in front of 10 people for three minutes, I was just like absolutely ecstatic about it. (laughs) It sounds like some kind of film script that you're describing here, like you were living out your dream. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, I was just completely obsessed. What kind of kit did you have at home? Oh, right. I had this little mixer called the Synergy T1000, which I bought for £10 brand new from Richer Sounds. And uh, surprisingly, it was an absolutely amazing mixer. It's just like a real basic two-channel mixer. The crossfader was absolutely terrible in it, but it had these uh, phono switches lined to phono. And with those, you could like kind of get a clean cut sound. So that's why I learned to do some basic transform scratching on and then uh what did i have i had like one hi-fi deck that didn't have any pitch control that had come off you know one of those old hi-fi stacks then one other slightly less hi-fi deck which had i think it had like six percent pitch control real diy stuff kind of but it was good enough to learn to mix and record some basic mixtapes back then how old were you at this time uh 16 and what was your ambition back then just to somehow make DJing part of my life, which it had already become, I guess the goal was to not do anything else. Have you ever had to do any other kind of job? Well, I was glass collecting in this club. Um, I would uh, start multiple jobs and then quit straight away just because I didn't like being told what to do or that I found certain things, aspects of the job wrong. But Pretty much not really. Everything else would have been linked to DJing, like giving out flyers, um, helping promoters promote club nights, working behind bars, things like that. You were in a great place for doing all of this, of course, in Brighton, yeah. Oh, my God. Back then, Brighton was the absolute hub of underground music. Well, as far as I could see, you would just have to go and loiter down the north lanes in Brighton and there you would see people that you saw at the club the night before and you'd make contacts. Back then, like everyone would go to the record shops to make contacts and hang out. When do you feel like you started to get recognition for what you were doing? Probably straight away in the nightclubs, um, there was just so many nice people that appreciated how much I was into DJing and how obsessed I was about it. So there's like lots of really nice people who gave me um, the time of day for that. But there was a competition in 2003 up at the End Club. I think it was sponsored by Vestex. It was organised and put on by uh, a drum and bass event called Movement. And it was also a Radio 1 competition. And... Um, 
I very luckily won that. And then straight away, uh, all the people behind me who were like kind of helping me out with the local DJing did loads of press releases, things like that. Got to DJ on Radio One and I just started to pick up club residencies and start to get more recognition abroad from that, really. Where was your first gig abroad? It was in Rouen in France. Tell me what you remember about that. I remember going to Gatwick to fly out to Rouen and I remember the realisation that I've done something worthwhile to get paid to go abroad, you know, and looked after by a promoter and DJ at, you know, a decent event. And everything about it was amazing. The promoter was incredible. It was a drum based event. It was in quite a big club. It was packed and the French hosts feeding all the artists really well, being really lovely. And then I remember getting very drunk and um, not being particularly pleased with my own set because I wanted to do something much better. But I think it went pretty well, to be honest. It's a common theme on the podcast that you touch on there, the drinking or whatever whilst playing. Is that something that you were aware of it then, 20 years ago? Is that something that you addressed pretty early on? Oh, right. So this particular gig, I was only aware of it thinking back because after my set, I drank so much that I slipped up and fell down some stairs, <laughs> but it was totally fine. I just remember being quite embarrassed because everyone saw me do it. But in terms of drinking whilst DJing, having one or two beers is probably the perfect amount for me if I was nervous about doing a gig. But then you've got to know your balance. I'm getting a real sense of your modesty. On that basis, how do you measure success for yourself? Success is completely subjective and a matter of opinion, I believe. Success is a happiness and clarity which is probably almost impossible for anyone to reach perfectly but I think it's just being appreciative of what you've got and what you do it doesn't matter how successful you are being successful I think is just being happy do you think you're living the life that you always wanted to live I think I've exceeded that like tremendously I'm just sitting here in my studio looking at all my turntables and it's it's incredible that to me is like the real sign of success being able to have all this awesome music equipment at my disposal right now and um, being able to sustain myself financially purely from music is just incredible. Describe your studio. What have you got there? I've got lots of turntables that I've been very kindly given from lots of different DJ manufacturers, mostly from doing promotional videos for them. Got some Genelec speakers, got some Pioneer speakers that I won from the competition, got some NS10 studio monitor ripoffs from a company called Avatone, which I'm pretty happy about. The studio is in my back garden. I had it built in 2020 and it's joined onto a single small garage, which is also my streaming room now. Very cool. Tell me a favourite old toy that you've got in your studio there and then a new toy. Okay, an old toy, which I absolutely love, is the Chaos Pad 3. Um, it's not that old. Got it in 2006. It's a multi-effects touchpad processing thing. You run audio through it and you set effects, multi-effects, and you can use the touchpad to control the different types of effects on it. It's amazing. Sweet. A new toy is probably my Rain 72 mixer, which is a a two-channel battle scratch mixer, which has got a Serato interface built in. It's got a touchscreen where you can see the waveforms of Serato. It's amazing. You can apply effects and then change the effects with the touchscreen. It's got all the scratchable crossfaders and upfaders you could dream for. It's got big pads on there so you can 
use them for cue points and loop rolls and other things. It's amazing. It's really lovely hearing you getting all geeky and sense the passion. <laughs> Time now, Jean-Marc, to head into this record box of questions here. 45 questions in the box. Each record sleeve in the box has a question on it. So I'll dip into the box. You say when. Right, I'm going in. When? Okay, your first question from the box here. Name your best gig ever. What springs to mind will be Shambhala in Canada. That is uh, probably one of the most incredible festivals I've ever played, luckily multiple times. It's um, in a small area called Salmo, which is right next to Nelson in Canada. The festival is on a farm which is surrounded by mountains, lakes, forest. Absolutely beautiful location. And the festival itself is just incredible. I would have to say Glastonbury because it's just so big and there's always unique amazing experiences each time I go there. I would also have to say probably in Australia, I would say one of my other favourite events, festivals, is called Earth Frequency Festival. It's a super awesome hippie-style multi-music genre festival, one hour drive from Brisbane on a epic location with really epic people. It's just an endless amount of other gigs as well. Tell me a bit more about Earth Frequency, perhaps even go through the detail of one of your best sets there. Every year it's hosted on this piece of land which is owned by someone who allows the promoters to put it on. And on this piece of land, they've got like um, hotels, they've got like um, a kind of mini coliseum thing. They've got multiple stages and they have random kangaroos running around the place. One evening we were on the um, transport for artists to go back to where we were sleeping and stuff. We had to stop because there's a giant python on the road. <laughs> just chilling not eating anyone <laughs> but the actual uh, music format of this festival i think it's quite open based but mostly underground music and i've had some really fun experiences um mostly because i've had my lovely girlfriend with me when i go to australia when i go on tour there because the gigs are so spaced out i have to kind of try and make a holiday out of it as well and for three times my girlfriend has come along which has been amazing and that particular festival is also one of her favorites because we've just got so many of our friends that we've made like these lovely people that we've made all over australia pretty much all come to this festival to either perform or just to hang out and for us to be able to walk around the festival and bump into friends left right and center is amazing not to mention the food is incredible the promoter as a guy called paul is a very very lovely very open-minded person very keen to help everyone including the scene and just generally a nice person. The production stages are always great, really well organised. I think I remember flying in to do a gig on the Friday night on main stage and just had like a massive crowd, really appreciative crowd, and had an amazing set. I then flew out to this uh, island called New Caledonia the next day had a really fun gig there, but then flew straight back to the festival to DJ once again on the main stage, but with one of my good friends, uh, Beardy Man. And um, I remember that being one of the most fun gigs I've done in Australia. Superb. Back into the box for question two. Just tell me uh, when. When. How does DJing make you feel? DJing makes me feel incredible, but also frustrated sometimes but that's just because i always want to be better than i am so it's, it's a good frustration that comes back to me to that measure of success what do you mean by better 
being better could mean so many different things. Um, in my world of DJing, there's the battles, the turntablist battles. There's the general turntablist community. There's the whole club scene, the whole festival scene, the entire music scene with DJing. And um, I haven't actually ever picked one genre to stick with and to focus on just because I love everything. And so I'm always dabbling from genre to genre. And because all these genres have their own scenes, trying to connect with them sometimes can be difficult to focus on just one genre. So for example, last year I was focusing on competitions. So in my head, getting better was mostly about me, for example, trying to level up my scratching and beat juggling skills. Technically and musically, there's an endless amount of possibilities that go with that. And then when you talk about the club scene, it's not about scratching or beat juggling. It's about making people dance. It's about surprising not only the crowd, but also the other artists, the promoters, everyone who's there. The aim is to surprise them, but in a good way, where you stand out differently from everyone else. But at the same time, you're making everyone have a good time. So music selection is a big thing on that. So getting better is just just an endless, absolute endless mission of um, trying to be unique and um, trying to be as good as you can in every genre of music that you like. Has your music taste changed over the years? Oh, my music taste has changed like in the last hour. It changes all the time. What were you into as that 16-year-old that was learning his craft in his bedroom in Brighton? Back then I was um, still into all music, but I was uh, concentrating very heavily on um, jungle, drum and bass, breaks, a little bit of hip hop, but more the instrumental stuff because I was just getting into trying to find records to scratch over and stuff. But I was really into like listening to things like Gypsy Kings, Vangelis, just whatever CDs I had back then. I, was, I had a Carl Cox trance mix that I really liked on CD. Most of it was rave, old school rave music. You know, a lot like the early Prodigy stuff. Jungle Techno, it was called back then. Are there any songs in your early sets that really stand out in your mind? In my early sets, it oh, would have definitely been things like um, Super Sharp Shooter by DJ Zinc, stuff like that. A couple of others? Um, just mostly the jungle tracks. So like um, Valley of the Shadows, there's a lot of um, Aphrodite tracks like Badass. Those were the records I had anyway to play. And what's always in your set now? Now I'm trying to keep it as um, varied as possible. I've got lots of uh, scratch routines that I've made specifically with the attempt of keeping a dance floor dancing. So there's like uh, certain covers of certain tracks that I've turned into scratch routines or I've got like 20 tracks that get mashed up into, you know, a five minute scratch mix type thing. Stuff like that. DJ, DJ. How to DJ with Chris Hawkins. Still to come. I had a lot of awesome people behind me that went crazy, making sure I was doing every gig possible with that title behind my name. Seeing them enjoy it is probably one of the best confidence boosters there is. Back into the box for question three. You say when. When. Okay, here comes... Your third question. Was there a day when everything changed for you? Most probably um, a few weeks ago, winning the main World DMC Solo Championships. 
But um, looking back, probably in 2007, when I won the UK DMC final, that was um, kind of a big break for me because I had a lot of awesome people behind me that went crazy, making sure I was doing every gig possible with that title behind my name. And that was like a massive push. So that felt like quite a change. What do you think won you that World DMC title in 2021? I worked really, really hard for it. That is no lie. I was watching it live. I was on the way to a gig in Leeds and um, had a friend in the car and had to pull over in a car park to watch it. And I was watching all the other DJs. And to be honest, I didn't think I was going to win because all these other guys were amazing. I don't know if that was down to my perseverance at the time. What exactly did you enter? The content of the routines. Mm -hmm. I filmed a very, very silly montage intro video for the start of the routine which uh, in comedy format showed me watching the 2020 World DMC results uh, where I came second. The realisation of only coming second, being absolutely destroyed by it, turning into a drunk, collapsing as a drunk bum on the street, and then um, having visions of um, like the turntablist legends kind of encouraging me, and then getting up and then doing like really silly montage training with um, things like, doing the splits on records, doing like a martial arts horse stance with um, records uh, balanced on my arms and things like that. Just really stupid stuff. And um, I was using uh, video scratching and cut up images of these turntables legends edited with their, their mouths moving. For example, I had Mixmaster Mike being video scratched onto the screen and the audio of his voice was the motivational Rocky speech. So the whole point was to be really stupid just to gain attention at the beginning and what music did you include right so this year i really wanted to use a lot of old school instrumentals that specifically get used by the old school battle djs just to pay homage to the old school turntablist sound uh, from the 90s so i used a lot of um, kind of old school hip-hop instrumental beats and then went into kind of electro from there, used a vocoder for some scratching and then went into doing some old school scratch techniques, but trying to make them on the current technical level as well. And then went into um, more, I suppose, new stuff that hopefully no one's done before, things like that. I was very lucky to win it, to be honest. There's that modesty again. Back into the box for question four, Jean-Marc. When... <laughs> okay. Is there a downside to your life as a DJ? Um, there's a downside to everything, I suppose. But yeah, not having enough time for my friends or family or girlfriend. I, I get really obsessed when I work on a project that I'm really, really excited about and is going well. So I just don't stop until it's done. And um, over the years, like I'm still friends with everyone, but you know, there's probably a, a lot of people that have just kind of given up on trying to get me to come out certain days of the week because they know I'm probably going to turn it down because I'm working on something. That, I would say, is the only downside. Do you feel like you've missed out on anything or are you the happiest that you could be? I most probably have missed out on a lot of stuff, but I am definitely the most happy I could be. Good answer. Your final question from the box, just say when. When. What's next? I am working on too many projects. Again, I'm trying to narrow it down to focus on things 
I've got some TV stuff coming up, which I'm not sure I'm allowed to talk about, but it's kind of the programs I watched when I was a kid that I never expected I'd be on. So that's quite exciting. I'm currently, I suppose, resident with an international swimming league, and I'm just awaiting the details for this year where I'm going to be performing in a swimming pool, playing music during the races and in between, and also doing scratch routines. And um, they get me featured on all the um, TV channels that go out. Uh, for a good minute each event so I'm trying to work on new material for that and ideas just like working on setting up my streaming room I'm going to start a new event in Brighton which uh, I'm pretty sure is going to be called Sea Bass um, because we're by the sea and we play bass music Um, working on a ton of new tracks which a lot of them are close to completion which is um, unexpected but amazing and then um making lots of new content for all the gigs coming up. My amazing agent Gina is absolutely fantastic and already booking me in tons of festivals for this year. Good times. They were your five questions from the box, Sean Mark, and I've just got a handful more quick fires, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Can you name a song with a very special memory attached? This changes all the time, but a very strong memory would probably be uh, Jimi Hendrix along the Watchtower. I made a scratch routine with it back in 2010 that was really fun and i just have a lot of fun memories performing that scratch routine in front of crowds but also the track itself has got quite a few profound moments from listening to it when you see a crowd loving what you do especially when it's something new you know that you're trying for the first time how's that feeling that feeling is incredible because most of it is relief but at the same time it's a massive boost in confidence Because if it's something you've done for the first time, you're completely unsure of how it's going to affect the crowd and then yourself if the crowd aren't into it. Seeing them enjoy it and react well to it is probably one of the best confidence boosters there is for DJing anyway. Mm -hmm. How much do you plan your sets? How much do you freestyle? Uh, Sometimes I plan everything way too much and sometimes I don't plan at all. So I tend to like to have maybe a good 10 different scenarios ready to jump into. Luckily, a lot of the gigs I get booked for over the the more recent years, um, I've had a specific crowd that are happy with whatever I want to do, which is absolutely incredible. But it's always good to have as many other options ready that you can jump into just in case, because at the end of the day, you're getting booked to do a job. And even if you don't like it, you have to try your best to make people happy. As soon as people are happy and you see that, that makes it enjoyable anyway. So, yeah, I sometimes plan my sets too much, but I like to be able to completely change it at an instant. Jean-Marc, it's the end of the world and you've got to play the last three records on Earth. What would they be? God, um, that's way too much pressure. Have a go. I suppose if it's the end of the world, it doesn't really matter, does it? So you can play whatever you want. I'm looking in my Serato crates right now. Can I ask a question? Who would be the audience for these three tracks? The entire world. The entire world. <laughs> How much notice would you be given before the world ending? Wow, this is getting detailed. Um, yeah, you've got five <laughs> minutes notice, okay, and you've got your Serato crates there. What would you stick on? <laughs> There's not much time to think, so I would just pick things randomly. So right in front of me, I've got Praise You by Fatboy Slim, so I might play that. Cool. No, the world's ending, you know. So much pressure. <laughs> Something by James Brown. 
I Feel Good, I Got You by James Brown. Great. What else? Haven't got long. The world's ending. Got to come up with something. How are you going to bow out? <laughs> I ain't going out like that, Cypress Hill. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Love it. JFP, it's been great. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to the current world DMC champion, JFP. And that was How to DJ. Thanks for listening. Please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcast from. 